Welcome to Investing for Us, where we help you understand investing in personal finance without using lingo only Wall Street understands. I'm Doug Page. Rich Masterson and I review the latest doings in the stock market and explain in simple language what you need to know, and hopefully that puts more money into your pocket. Rich, as usual, the only thing that's usual about the stock market is that it continues to surprise us. One minute it appears to be down for the count, the next it's up and running like a champion, and now it's sliding again, some of it due to inflation. In the last 24 hours, two government reports detailing where inflation stands in the United States have been released. The first one was the producer price index, which is a measure of wholesale prices. The report from the U.S. Labor Department says wholesale prices are up 8.6% year over year much of it due to increased oil and energy costs. Oil prices increased 13% in October, while natural gas prices, although flat in October, were up 34% two months ago in September. The latest report, the Consumer Price Index, which measures prices at the retail level or consumer level, and also comes from the Labor Department, says prices overall jumped 6.2% year over year. The report says energy prices were up 30% and that food prices have increased 5.3% since October of 2020. In addition, the prices of new and used cars are also up. The year-over-year price increase for new cars is 9.8%, while used car prices are up by more than 26% in the same time frame. What economists are particularly worried about, according to some published reports, is what's called shelter cost, meaning the cost to rent an apartment or a house. That price is up 3.5% since October of last year. And if that's not worrisome enough, today's investors news is also filled with stories we would never expect, like the CEO of a major car company asking the Twitters if he should sell his shares. And yet that's exactly what we have with Tesla CEO Elon Musk. It makes you wonder what the reaction would be among institutional shareholders if the CEO of, say, General Motors, ExxonMobil, or Disney, or some other large company, for example, did the same. Would there be a lawsuit? Because in essence, the CEO who's supposed to protect the company company's stock price is giving every impression of being reckless with that price. What do you think, Rich? <laughs> I think we're in love with this lunatic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably right. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the amazing thing is, Doug, we're talking about it. Yeah. How are. many people are talking about this? Yeah. The reality is he has to sell because he's got a huge tax bill coming. Right. And he, and he knows it. Right. So everything in this man's life is how can I draw more attention to myself or my company. Right. And I, th I think he's a genius. Yeah. I mean, us old time marketers would never approve this or allow a company to actually strategize in this manner, mm -hmm. you know, but I, you know, maybe it's working for him and, um, it certainly <laughs> didn't help the stock price, did it? He lost well, a it, lot of money. It, it's interesting, too. There was a, there's a column today in the Wall Street Journal, for example, that says that Tesla, when you really look at it, is almost the ultimate meme stock. Yeah, yeah. and that and that what's happening here, to your point, is that every what it, what is, what's the struggle that every entrepreneur has, which is to get attention right from the media, right? Get people Correct. to pay attention. And and Elon is like this is like this, you know, if you will. One man public relations show. I mean, he's he's he, he's he's the great showman, right? Yep. So it really is something else to see with him uh, too, as well. Uh, I understand that. Well, and now, Rich, you know, entering the space of electronic vehicles, sometimes called EVs, uh, comes Rivian, which makes electronic pickup trucks priced at about sixty thousand uh, dollars. Today is Rivian's IPO, and apparently that's coming in. 
valuing the company at more than $100 billion, and which is just over General Motors and Ford with market valuations at $85 and $80 billion, respectively. And if you're curious to know, Tesla is valued at a trillion dollars, Toyota at $246 billion, and Volkswagen at $146 billion. Rich, what do you make out of Rivian? Well, I, you know, of all the companies that are out there besides Tesla doing electric vehicles, this one's actually starting to sell cars and trucks. <laughs> and, you know, sure. to me, that's a, a major accomplishment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm standing here watching, the, you know, their stock jump up and down. It's running about 115, 116 right now. Right. It, it opened up the IPO with $78 and, uh, you know. Those of us, most of us can't get access to this because of it's a traditional IPO, but at some point we will. And I, I think it'll be a good investment. I, I, you know, we talk about Musk. I think this is a, a good competitor for him. Right. And, and what even makes the rivalry even crazier is, you know, you hear so much about the rivalry between Musk and Jeff Bezos, the owner of, you know, the chairman of Amazon. Right. And. And so what's happening is these two with their space projects are competing. They both, you know, Tesla's Musk. Well, 20 percent of the stock or the ownership of Ravinia is owned by Amazon. Right. And another 12 percent is owned by Ford. Gotcha. So I think. You know, I own options on Ford and I'm hanging on to them and possibly rolling them over because this is a way for me to get in on this Ravinia, um, you know, um, IPO without actually buying the stock right now. And what does this mean then if you if you own shares of Amazon, if you own shares of Ford and let's say Rivian does very, very well, will your shares or the value of your shares in Amazon and Ford also do equally equally well? Well, sure. I mean, you know, every company with excess cash has to invest that. And it shows up, the profits they make off investing their, their extra cash shows up on their balance sheet. And of course, you know, when you look to value a stock and you review the balance sheet, the P&L statement, and you see that, you know, the company has got good profits and this is contributing to their profits. It only enhances the value of the stock. Gotcha. Gotcha. And Rich, what, what does this mean for NVIDIA, which is a company that many may not realize is actually in the car industry? And just to be transparent here, I should let our audience know I do own some NVIDIA shares, although I am hardly a major shareholder. Yeah, I, I have options on NVIDIA and, um, you know, been very <laughs> pleased with the performance lately. And, uh, you know, NVIDIA does is a chip maker, basically. Right. Uh, they, they're they real well known in the gaming industry. Their chips are far superior than others. Um, but they also are a key player in the systems that drive the cars automatically. Tesla uses them and Ravinia uses them also. And so I think they have ridden this um little bit of a spurt here in the last couple of weeks anticipating this IPO. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, the biggest story among publicly held companies this week might be General Electric. Uh, once a dominating presence in corporate America and considered a bellwether stock because it was listed in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it fell on hard times in the last two decades. 
It's certainly not the conglomerate it was under CEO Jack Welch. The company's current CEO, Larry Culp, the first outsider to take the helm of GE, has taken a long, hard look at the company and decided to break it up into three parts. Rich, um, you know, again, quite the story, something that probably none of us would have expected. What's your take on this one? Well, you know, I, I go back to early in my career, Jack Welch was king in the business world. And um, he grew General Electric through acquisitions. Uh, I mean, they owned NBC for a long time. Right. And so they were amazingly diversified company and extremely successful. You know, there's all kinds of rumors about Jack being a real hard ass when it comes to managing people. And, you know, he believed in hacking off the bottom 5% of their employees that were not performing. And he kept that company going. And of course, now it's a different work environment today. And things are a lot different and much more competitive. And I think the subsequent CEOs after Jack have just not done a decent job of you know, keeping this company in the forefront of the business world. And it's sad. I mean, it was a, I mean, I think every grandparent, every parent and every one of us at one point or another couldn't wait to dump money into GE. It was a winner. And so it has really turned around and been disappointing for a lot of people lately. Um, I think it's smart, Doug, and I'll tell you why. You know, there. Even though you want to be diversified, you really need to concentrate on what you do best. Mm-hmm. And I think GE lately has been having a hard time doing that. And interestingly, you know, there have been twelve CEOs since Jack. Really? And, yeah, oh. and the current CEO who's implementing this strategy, he's the first outsider. From right. GE. And, you know, GE has this long cult-like atmosphere that, from what I understand. And so bringing an outsider in was a big change. The board of directors uh, obviously um, thought that might be a good strategy, and it seems to have turned out. I think what will come out of this is four decent companies. And if you still own stock, you're obviously going to get pieces of each one of them. And I think that these companies will flourish. They're all in industries that are important today. And um, so I think with new management, new blood, you know, I, I think we'll see some good things come out of all this. Right. So so if you own, so see GE shares the last time I looked were priced at just over a hundred bucks. Um, so what you're saying is, are they, and, and this really is sort of the unknown here from everything I'm looking at, which is, if they break it up into three parts or four parts, whatever it's going to be, I, I'm seeing three. Uh, does everybody does the share does the share price that you're that you're sitting on get divided into three? Oh yeah, they value each company and divide the uh, the share price of GE among those three companies. Okay, and so in a sense, you will get a you know a, a portion uh, of your. Each share of your GE stock will give you a, a certain amount of stock in each one of those companies based on the valuation. Gotcha. So is it would it be equivalent to, say, a stock split? Uh, yeah, I, it, that's basically what it is, really, is a stock split. 
Okay. Okay. So, so if you're sitting on a hundred shares of General Electric stock today, when this thing breaks up, you could be sitting on three hundred shares. No. No. Each company that is a spinoff, okay, will be valued. Oh, Give okay. an example. If if you said that GE was running about a hundred dollars, well, let's yeah. say they're each division has a different valuation. One is okay. maybe $60, one is 30 and one is 10. Yeah. So they'll take your $100 and divide it up by that ratio and give you you know individual pieces of that stock at that amount of ratio. Ah, okay. 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 So so it's not a one for one like it is typically with a stock splitter in the Right. Account. Right. Gotcha. I mean, one of those stock, one of those companies are going to be worth a lot more than the other two and so sure. somebody, you know, to keep it fair and balanced. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, we're at the final portion of our show where we Rich gives us our lesson of the week. And this week it's the Russell 2000 index and small cap stocks. Rich, what should our audience know about this sector of the stock market? Well, unfortunately, small caps, Doug, have a bad reputation. And (laughs) the media loves to jump on the negative side of small cap investing because it is risky. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, there's fraudulent things happen in all categories, whether they're large companies, established companies. I think all of us in our investing careers have had some bad thing happened and a company got caught. And in some cases, you know, it it was very negative on the stock and forced the company out of business in some cases. But, you know, the other thing to think about, Doug, so that we we don't spend a lot of time on small caps. But first of all, what is a small cap? Well, basically, a small cap stock is a market capitalization between three million and two million. What does that mean? Well, that means that the sales of that company are between three million and two billion. Gotcha. And you know, stocks that are under three hundred million are like micro caps, and then there's another category. Then you go all the way down to penny stocks. But you know, the small caps is a good opportunity, and the best way to sum it up: should you look at small caps, and you really need to work hard at this and do your homework because they're you know, a lot of stocks that will eventually not make it. But if you think about it, Doug, Amazon, Netflix, NVIDIA, all these companies were small caps at one time. Every stock on the stock market starts as a small business. Even Apple Computer started in somebody's garage, right? Sure. And it becomes, you know, the company it is today. So if you're really good at spotting opportunities in small caps and follow people who invest in small caps successfully, you know, the one that stands out for me is uh, William O'Neill. I mean, you know, the the guy who started uh, Investors Business Daily. Sure. He made his fortune in small caps. So there's some advantages and there's significant benefits and many investors don't realize that. And, you know, but an individual investor, if you want to get in in on a ground floor of the next Uber, the next Lyft, the next Netflix, you got to mine for these companies early on. And, you know, there's some great opportunities to be had there. But of course, you know, again, going back to our original lessons on investing is what is your 
propensity for risk? What is your situation? Why are you investing? And you certainly don't want to jeopardize your child's college education account by investing in high risk um, investments. And so the same thing if you're in if you're retired, you know, you you might not want to be in high risk um, positions. But for those that, you know, still have a lot of working years left and are trying to grow their portfolios, this could be a good way to do it, Doug. And when you're looking at some of those stocks, because in, in the Russell 2000 in, index of the last time I looked at it, you had roughly pretty close to 2,000 individual stocks in there that are considered small cap stocks. What what are you looking for? What what is the metric that that someone should should dive into and see, or metrics that someone should look at before they would might feel comfortable making that investment? Well, that's a great question, Doug. And I would I would. You know, again, <laughs> you and I talk about the Peter Lynch theories of right. looking for bargains. You know, the most obvious thing I would look at is quarter after quarter, if a small cap continues to grow their revenue. Gotcha. If their sales are going up quarter after quarter after quarter, and I mean significantly, you know, not 1%, 2%. If a company is really onto something, whether it's a product or a service, if they're really onto something, their sales are going to continue to show that growth. Right. And, you know, look at the product, you know, I mean, try to determine if that product has a future and then look at the management of this company. Is it a bunch of kids that have no idea what they're doing and they're just enthralled with the fact that, hey, I work at a startup, you know, or do they <laughs> really understand what they're doing? One of the keys is, is that when a lot of these young people who come up with these ideas and, you know, really work and start these startups, the minute you see them starting to search for a CEO, you know things are getting serious there because right. they're realizing that they're onto something and now they need some pros to help the market and build this company. And that's another signal for a small cap that's headed for the uh, for the heights that we're right. all looking for in our portfolios. And, and usually before they get there, I mean, don't they usually have some some uh some some venture money or some somebody has put in some serious seed capital. I mean, it can't just be like say five kids sitting around, you know. And I'm not I'm obviously using kids. Not kids are 25, perhaps 23. But you know, when you're talking and when you're thinking about this, by the time they get launched into an IPO, there they must be some serious money behind the product, right, or behind oh, the company. Absolutely, Doug. I mean, you know, once a company's public, they have to reveal who their shareholders are, right. Right. You know, and so if you think about it, I would like to know when Jeff Bezos invests in a company or Bill Gates or Elon Musk. I mean, I'd like to get in on some of that. And I probably sure. don't have enough money to get in like those guys. Right. But, you know, th they figure it out. They see the potential based on their experiences. So, I mean, it, uh, it, it's like, you know, the car company that's IPO is going on right now. Right, you know, right. if I could have bought into that when Jeff Bezos bought into it, who knows what I'd be sitting on right now. Sure. So when you do your homework in these small caps and once they become public and they list who owns more than a certain percentage of their stock, 
that should clue too. Who's investing with this? Gotcha. You know, and um, yeah, just an, another one of those, you know, detective clues like being a good reporter. Get the facts before you make a move. Right, right, exactly, exactly. You've got to do your homework before you uh, before you invest, so you know exactly what you're buying into uh, yeah. before you go. You know, you, you know, Doug. Um, we're running out of time, and I I don't want to forget about uh, your comment earlier in the show when we, you talked about some of the economic reports that came out lately. Yep. And I guess basically what those numbers are telling us, because the numbers haven't been that bad since 1990. And, and I think it clears up for everyone that we're in the middle of inflation. Yeah. And, and whether you call it transitory, whatever you want to call it, all I know is you, everybody, I don't care if you're rich or poor, Democrat or Republican, you're pumping gas in your car, you're paying your rent, you're buying groceries, you know that inflation is here. Um, interesting fact for our uh, listeners who are learning is, you know, the consumer price index that's being released, you know, basically... There's a group of people that work at the government and they have what they call a basket. And that basket is they have products that everybody uses every week, like paper towel or, you know, produce or meat and chicken. And they basically go on the Internet or call around the country to find out what the current prices are for these items. And it actually works, believe it or not. And so when you see the consumer prices going up the way it did, that's concerning. Um, When you see the wholesale prices going up, that's concerning because all that points to higher prices. Wholesale prices mean, guess what? You're going to pay more because the company's not going to absorb all that. Um, The only good that came out of all the numbers today was the inventories, I was a little surprised to see that wholesale inventories actually rose a little bit because, and that's encouraging because of all of the problems with the supply chain, you would think that that number would be a lot worse than it was. Hmm. And it actually showed a little improvement. Um, But, um, you know, it's here. And the only thing I'm concerned about is, is again, is the government's ability to control inflation. And I, I think there, to me, there, it seems that they just are not acknowledging it as much as they should be. If they acknowledged it a little more, maybe we'd come up with a plan. But I haven't heard of any plan that really is going to slow down this inflationary process because – if we're going to raise taxes for all these new bills, you know, we're only going to add more frustration to people when they go to, you know, pay their rent and buy their groceries. And I think it's just going to take everything down with it. And I hope there's some good ideas on the table that are coming out soon. Right. Well, and that that's very, very true. And it is a worrisome uh, situation, too, as well. Yeah, you know, Janet Yellen, the secretary of the Treasury, made the comment, uh, I believe, yesterday that, Everybody should basically sort of chill out uh, when it comes to inflation, that it won't be as bad as it was, let's say, in the 1970s. Uh, again, that's it's all very, very hard to say at this point. I mean, 
I was looking at some information uh, earlier this week. Uh, you and I talked about it briefly, but you know, a year ago, you know, the average price of a gas, a gallon of gasoline, was uh, in the United States was about two dollars and eleven cents. Uh, today, it's up and over three dollars. And in California, for example, it's obviously much higher than that. In some cases, seven dollars uh, or thereabouts. So you, we certainly are seeing, uh, you know, uh, increased uh, prices in, in gasoline. Uh, you know, I remember many, many moons ago, you know, when I owned a, a, G, a General Motors Saturn, uh, of all things, you know, it costs less than 20 bucks to fill up and fill the tank. <laughs> uh, you know, today, those days are, are certainly long gone. And when you're when you're paying, you know, 50 to 60 dollars to fill your tank of gas, what does that mean in terms of just a change in behavior? Will you will you go to the restaurant, for example? Uh, Will you take that car trip to go, say, visit relatives and or friends? Uh, in, uh, you know, will you do that? I mean, these are the kinds of questions that come when your dollar is not going as far as it used to go, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Doug, on the other side of that coin is the, the proposals to raise taxes. Um, I, I saw on the financial news today that when all this is said and done people in like new york state are approaching 60 percent yeah you know I saw that and, too. and that's not just the billionaires that's middle class people yeah. Yeah. and i i think that's you know going to put a foul mood in a lot of people yeah i i think it has certainly risk it certainly is a risk of that too as well uh, that you could see something like that and it it certainly is uh uh, it, it, you know, and, and then of course, you know, you where, where do people take it out? Well, they they take it out when they go to vote, right? I mean, that's yep. t- typically what happens. Not always, certainly, but typically what happens. You, yeah, I, you I, know, when 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 they have their when they have their right to vote, <laughs> when they can go off and vote, uh, when there's an election come up, you know, they they may get very angry and go vote for the opposite party. Yeah, I heard uh, <laughs> heard a funny joke online today. It was if you're lost in the woods, just start talking politics. Someone will show up to argue with you. You know, <laughs> but you know, the last thing is, what does this inflation story mean for our listeners, yeah. for us in our investing? You know, once again, watch where people are still spending money through inflation. Right. There are inflationary positions that you can take to kind of hold back your portfolio um, as things, you know, go down and, um, you know, silver, gold, crypto people are, you know, using different things like that, you know, um, even commodities in some cases, which I'm always afraid of. But um, I I do believe that a smart investor can stay on top of this and minimize the effect on their portfolio by just being really proactive. And maybe in some few the next couple of weeks, we can talk about some of those strategies in order to keep ourselves from. uh, What's a better term? Taking a bath in our portfolios (laughs) while inflation is rampant. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, that's fantastic. Well, for Rich Masterson, I'm Doug Page saying thank you for listening to today's episode of Investing for Us. If you have questions or comments about the show, please email them to questions at investingforus.com. Again, that's questions at investingforus.com. Investing for Us is an audio production of Masterson Page, LLC, Galena, Illinois, all rights reserved.